our New Year scripture reading can be found in Ephesians 5, verses 15 to 20. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 20. Let's hear the word of God. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to the to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of God. Amen. Good morning and Happy New Year. In the Korean culture, uh, we turn to each other sometimes. I'm not going to get you to do it, but it'll be a little hard. But we turn to each other, and uh, we actually take turns uh, honoring our elders by bowing to, to them and getting little nuggets of wisdom from them, as well as cash money and envelopes. <laughs> but we say, and I say that to you now. So many blessings in this new year to you. Um, and yeah, so based on on that idea, though, of, of wisdom and getting wisdom from people and, and walking wisely, uh, that's what we're going to be talking about today. What does it mean to make the most of your life? Uh, this day of all days brings this to mind, brings this question to mind. New Year's past and present and future, we wrestle with it and we will continue to wrestle with it, I'm sure. The question is there, am I living to the fullest? Like, how was this past year? In what ways did life, was it great? In what ways did it really let me down? Are we making the most out of this life with the time that we have? On one end of the spectrum, we may buy into the idea of carpe diem, translated as seize the day. On this idea, there's a phrase that's been around for a while, but it's made more popular by a Toronto-born rap artist. And that phrase is YOLO, which stands for you only live once. You only live once. One of the prominent ideas in the hook of the song that popularized uh, this motto is that, you know, all the people who don't like him and all the people he doesn't get along with, the cash, the stacks of cash that are in front of him are so high, he can't see them anymore, so they don't matter. Maybe that's our idea, or, or maybe not to be too simplistic, but maybe sort of that's one of the aspects of, of what we think makes a full life. Seize the day, YOLO. Maybe it's making as much money as we can. Maybe it's combined with, and it feels pretty good, right? The revenge of proving those, those of people who don't get along with you or who don't believe in you and just sticking it to them that much more. Making the most of our lives could look like this. You know, something else came around, around the time of that song, around 2011, another phenomena which, uh, <laughs> to be honest, I laugh, but it was actually pretty uh, disconcerting at times too. 
Um, and this phrase was hearing teenagers yell it before they did something really, really unwise. Like, I witnessed a group of students in Toronto crossing a street. One group had already crossed, and the rest of the, rest of the friends weren't paying attention. So basically, they were split into two groups. The light had turned, and there's oncoming traffic. And one young man, he decided he wanted to catch up with the other group. And so last second, he crossed with all this oncoming traffic on its way. And as he crossed, he yelled out, YOLO! Cars had to stop abruptly so as not to hit him. But that sort of became a little bit of an anthem around that time. Hey, you only live once, so I'm just going to do whatever I want to do and get it out of my system. Yeah, and at that point, I didn't know whether to laugh or cry. Well, to be honest, I laughed. I laughed a lot <laughs> and shook my head. And we might laugh at that idea and think of it as the folly of youth. Oh, that's just what teenagers do. But no, it just appears differently in the lives of young adults and adults as well. How much can I squeeze out of this life? I don't want God in the picture because I just want to make myself feel really good right here, right in this moment. So I'm going to live as, just as recklessly, recklessly as I can. You only live once. Make the, mo make the most of your time. On the other end of the spectrum, we may be so wrapped up in fear. Yeah, it's only one life. We only get one shot at it. We've got to live it right. It's got to be exact, so specifically right. Nothing can upset the boat. Nothing can rock it. We have to make sure all our steps are so very, very clear, and we live out of fear. It's one, one spectrum, just this recklessness. Let's make as much cash as we can. Let's live as recklessly as we can, dangerously as we can. And the other side, it's, oh my gosh, we have to just bind ourselves up so tightly. You can't let ourselves out of this little cocoon. Making the most of our lives could look like either of these things or maybe somewhere in the middle. But those things, both, they're devoid of, of God in it. You only live once. Make the most of our time. It's important. It is important. And Paul had much to say about what this specifically looks like in the life of someone who follows Jesus Christ. What does this look like? Looking from the outside, you may say, well, is that life to the fullest? It also seems so binding. But within what parameters God gives us, we have this full, full life that God gives and so if you have your Bible still open, I, I invite you to keep it open. And we're going to be taking a look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 20. And I just want to remind you that this is in light of what Paul wrote in the first half of Ephesians 5. He built this case for believers to live out their faith as a response to what God has done. He reminded them, you're children of God, so you are inheritors of something truly, truly wonderful. He reminded them, you are light in the Lord. He reminded them, you are children of God. And so here they are, children of God. And here's further instruction on how to live, how to live in response to the amount of lavish love God has poured onto them. And how they should then take instruction to then live fully, making the most of the time. It's under this umbrella that this is a response to the goodness of God through Jesus, through Jesus Christ. And so the first verse, it says, therefore, be careful how you walk. Be careful. 
And it points back to the section just before, as we just talked about, and it also points back to this theme that's been building since the turn of the letter in Ephesians 4, where it starts to talk and instruct the people reading it how believers need to live. Therefore, be careful how you walk. See to it. Be watchful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. You know, this idea of being wise here is making life choices governed by a piety and integrity, whereas being unwise is this direct opposite. So being wise or making these life choices, choosing these actions based on your relationship with God, how close you are with the Lord. Peter O'Brien makes this point. It's a, it's a commentator who wrote a really fine commentary on Ephesians. And he made this point that in three other places in Ephesians, Paul ties in wisdom. He ties in this theme of wisdom with, with it being a more full understanding of the mystery of what God offers. The idea of wisdom being fully understanding the mystery of what God offers. In chapter 1, he talks about how God wants believers to understand his saving plan, to have wisdom there. Again, in chapter 1, a little later on, there's this prayer that Paul wrote out, and he prayed for them to understand more fully, like gather the full significance, the mystery of God through the spirit of wisdom, to really know God, this wisdom there. Again, in chapter 3, there's this... uh, Exhortation, the divine wisdom of God in creating his church. Wisdom and mystery and knowing God and knowing what God is up to. To be wise then requires insight and understanding God's will. It ties a little bit later on in verse 17. A wise life then is making choices by piety, in integrity, taking effort, And this effort is in the light of the mystery of God. His purpose is made known to us. What does this mean for us? It means that there is a level of effort required of us so that we would choose to be wise. There's an intentionality in living. There's choices that need to be made. And the reason also that Paul gives here, be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Make the most of your time Because the days, because the time that we live in, they're evil. Now, this doesn't mean to live in fear or to avoid life, but this passage is about living lives pleasing to God with the wisdom that God gives. We live in evil times. Ethically and morally, our world is twisted, bent out of shape. We know this. It's not as we know it could be, as it should be. And when we hear evil, it sounds... Sounds absolute, doesn't it? It sounds, are are we really evil? I mean, that sounds pretty harsh. I don't mean to be a doomsayer, but the truth is we don't have to look far to see that there is truth to this. In In news cycles, excuse me, you know, it's not too hard to read and to see how bent and twisted out of shape this world is. Make the most of your lives in these evil days because we need to understand we need to understand these two things by understanding God's will and being filled by the Spirit is how we can make the most of our lives. Paul is building this case 
Here are the parameters, believers, of how you should live. This, then, is how you can live carefully to live a fuller life, is that you can understand God's will and be filled by the Spirit. So he starts off by saying, do not be foolish, but understand God's will. So as a result of these days being evil, Paul is commanding them, don't be foolish. And it's not just, you might feel like, is that just synonymous with what he was saying in verse 15? But he makes this stronger point. It means acting in ways that are senseless. Don't do that. When looking at biblical examples of what it means to be foolish, this word shows up clearly in the wisdom literature of the Bible in Proverbs. And one of the, this is one of the books on wisdom, and it's in opposition to foolishness. And foolishness is characterized by someone who is careless, lacks understanding, even despising wisdom, going against the ways of God. But in contrast, he says, this is the way to live a careful, good life. Believers, understand what the will of the Lord is. In light of all that God has done for you, at being children of light, all the things of, of the previous passage, live this way. Understand what the will of the Lord is. And the verb understand is also, there's an intentionality built into that as well, of really trying to grasp something, of giving an effort so you can really know it. You know, God has revealed the mystery of his will in Jesus, and now it's about us as believers to really sort of get into that. What does that mean for us, and what does that look like for us in our day-to-day? In light of being saved by God through Jesus Christ, what should today look like? In light of being saved by Christ and treated as a loved one, as beloved of God, how then should I treat my neighbor? That one who has a bone to pick with me or that one that we just, there's that friction point. In light of being saved by God through Christ, what relationships need to be mended? What effort do I need to put in there? In light of being saved by God through Jesus Christ, what spiritual practices do I need to pick up in order to fully live into this life and not live on this shallow existence? You know, because I've been given this gift of a right relationship with God, the question we need to be asking ourselves is, how can I respond to that? How can I fully, more fully understand God's will? This is the first way that Paul prescribes for us to make the most of our lives. And the second, and it's funny that it falls on, on New Year's, is don't get drunk. You know, the, the stereotype of a New Year's Eve, when we think about it, is people reveling in the streets or in a, in a square together celebrating the year past. And it's almost like, it's almost like it's, it's magic. Once midnight hits, all the mistakes and all the drudgery of 2016 can be wiped away. 2017 is here, it's brand new. We turn over into a new calendar and poof, everything should be new. It doesn't work that way. But there's this idea of don't get drunk. Instead, be filled by the Spirit. How do we make the most of our lives? Is that we can be filled by the Spirit. We have this privilege, this opportunity. You know, why does he start with don't get drunk? 
You know, there was a lot of cultic practices at the time where getting drunk was a means of worship, worshiping a god Dionysius at the time. So as a means of worship was the more drunk you got, the more you sort of got in touch with the divine. Or this may have also been a point of specific problem happening amongst the churches in that area, and Paul's writing them, hey, I've heard that there's this rampant problem of drunkenness. And with these things in mind, it also serves as a foil, a way to augment the contrast to what comes next of, you know, instead of filling yourselves with, with wine, which leads to a dissipation, which leads to further recklessness, instead of that, and in light of who you are as children of God, and choose to live into this privilege. Be filled. And it's not a one-time thing where it just happens and that's it. But it's be filled and continually be filled. In contrast to wine, which leads to recklessness, Paul is inviting us and he's urging us, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. You know, many understand this to mean, and I, I learned this this week too, and it's been great is that many understand this to mean that the Spirit is what we are supposed to be filled with, and, and that's been a traditional reading as well. And grammatically, it actually makes more sense that the Spirit is the person of the Trinity that is the one acting in a believer's life to fill them. This lines up with the fullness language that Paul has been using throughout Ephesians. So the content that the Holy Spirit is filling believers with is the fullness of the triune God. Be filled by the Spirit with the fullness of who God is. You know, Peter O'Brien says again, in other words, Paul's readers are to be transformed by the Spirit into the likeness of God even more. So by the power of God to be transformed into the likeness of God so that we may reflect Him more. And this is the privilege we get to enter into. And he says, make the most of your lives in the light of you being children of God Here's this invitation to be filled by the Spirit so that you may reflect even further the God who loves you and is for you. This person is marked by a special way of communicating, speaking with worship on our lips. And there's this horizontal communication that happens. And it says you're speaking with one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. You know, and one of the ideas that I got in my head was like, so are we actually supposed to sing to one another? And does this sort of turn into sort of like a Disney film where songs on the tips of our tongues, we traipse through life in song, you know, doing that type of thing. And maybe for some of us that actually seems like, hey, that'd be actually pretty awesome if we sang to each other. But the worship we sing with the power of music, it shapes us to encourage one another, to urge each other to love Jesus more, to live out our identity more. We belong to one another as a family when we believe in Jesus Christ. And we saw it here in this baptism. And we are welcoming Caroline into our family. And that doesn't mean we get to be nosy in each other's business in a negative way. But what it does mean is we get to enter into community, into family with one another, and to be invited into each other's stuff in the best way. And the worship we sing shapes our thoughts and attitudes and can affect the way we speak to one another. And this is the mark of being filled by the Spirit, the mark of a life filled with the presence of God, is that in community we would encourage one another, hey, are you making the most of your time? Are you walking carefully? Because we don't have much of it. 
know, our, our life is but a breath, right? I'm turning 40 this year. 40. <laughs> you know, I was looking at pictures at my, uh, at my aunt's place yesterday. Uh, one of my cousins brought out this box, and she's flipping through old photos, and she's like, hey, Alan, take a look at this photo. And I'm like, wow, probably 30 pounds lighter than <laughs> this was maybe 16 years ago. And just looking at that and thinking, wow, where did, where did all that time go? Like 16 years in the blink of an eye. Be careful how you live. Make the most of your time. Be invited into community. Live by the Spirit, the fullness of God in our lives, shaped by worship that we would encourage, exhort one another in community and say to one another, you know, I love you this much to say this to you. Or I love you this much to encourage this in you because I want you to get the most out of this life. I want you to have the most out of this. You know, there's a recent video that shows this older man who's just gripped by dementia. And they put some headphones on him with his favorite music to listen to from the 1920s. And immediately he perks up, starts singing along, and afterwards he's even able to converse for a short time about that music. Music is powerful. And I see it at camp as well. You know, verses put to music. I've heard campers being able to sing songs from the past 10 years, like scripture put to verses. Uh, sorry, scripture put to music. And they're able to sing like the last 10, 15 years, cataloging like all the different themes that have been going on at camp because of the power of music. Music is powerful. It shapes us. And then Paul then offers, not only do believers speak to one another in a horizontal way, in this community way, but also it moves us vertically as we start to understand more fully just how amazing God is, just how much he loves us, that it should overflow vertically, that we sing and make music to God with our hearts. And with our hearts means with our whole entire being. You know, not just paying lip service to God, but if we are gripped by the love of God and if we are gripped by all that he has done for us and if we understand God's will and if we're filled by the Spirit with the fullness of God, then what comes out of us but song, singing and making music to God with our whole heart because we love him back and we love him just as hard and as much as we can. Another mark of the Spirit and another mark of how we live carefully as well is a Spirit-filled life, the God-filled life, is always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Always giving thanks. Always giving thanks. You know, this is such an important theme that it was mentioned before in chapter 5, verse 4. In a previous sermon, I mentioned that you know, this is the mark of a Christian, of someone who follows Jesus Christ as someone who is really grateful. Paul mentions it again. The person who is filled by the Spirit is giving thanks. It overflows for all things. And as I was thinking about the sermon, and that sort of stopped me in my tracks a little bit, for all things. For all things? Like everything. 
It's easier said than done. It doesn't just mean thanksgiving for the things that we like and enjoy in our lives, things that make me feel good, but it means all things, good and bad. Good and bad. There's someone my wife has been following on, on Facebook, and it's, it's a story that's just tragic, having children of my own too. Uh, and there's this little girl, Ava Lee, who right now, at this moment, may be in the Lord's presence, right now, at the tender age of eight. She was diagnosed with leukemia at the age of five, and she beat it, but then she had a relapse. And her mother, Esther Lee, has been posting throughout their journey on their Facebook page and has been courageous and really honest and really authentic in her writing. Most recently, as of four days ago, Ava has been in hospice care and intubated and very much at the end of her, of her fight. I just want to share some excerpts of the latest post of someone who you can tell is filled by the Spirit and is thankful for all things. And this is what she wrote, just some uh, short passages. Though so devastated at times throughout the day, I'm daily reminded how incredibly thankful we ought to be. We were given the resources to seek out the very best treatment for her starting in Chicago, going back and forth to Seattle for transplant and salvage therapy, and finally ending up in Wisconsin for more treatments. And she goes on to say, the support has been endless and lavish. Before we asked, everything was provided for. Our whole family, including extended and church family, stood with us the entire time. Our friends did not look away, but searched into our lives to see where they could patch us up. Our community wept with us, prayed for us, rejoiced with us, and treasured Ava with us. When you see our story, there is no leak in love to be found. We ask the same question as every other parent of a child who suffers and then perhaps dies from cancer. Why us? If it is considered so rare, then why us? Why must we go through these unspeakable times? But we can also ask the same question when it comes to God's goodness. Why us? Why have you been so kind to us, God? Why have people rallied around us? Why have we not known the heartache of family and friends abandoning us? Why has Ava not had to spend each one night alone in the hospital? And as I watch Ava's frail body laying in bed, something rises up inside me. It's a burning anger toward all the darkness in our lives. For though we live in a physical world, there is a spiritual dimension that we know little about. To that realm, I call out this challenge. What you have planned for our demise, God will use for good. You may have wanted to kill, steal, and destroy. That will not happen. Don't you know already? Christ is one. You've wanted to cripple us so badly that we would never walk and talk again. But know this, God lives in us. Therefore, our, his strength is ours to have. We will walk. No, we will soar. And we will talk. In fact, I will not stop until my dying day, until the whole world knows. Is that not the mark of someone filled by the Spirit, thankful for all things. And this is someone who is making the most of their life. This is someone who is being careful, knowing the times, knowing her identity in the Lord. And she's not sugarcoating anything here. I mean, it is really, really hard And yet she's able to do this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God. 
placing this thanksgiving in its context to the God who is the giver in all our lives. You know, in this prayer, uh, in this encouragement to give thanks for all things, this mark of a person who's filled by the Spirit, you know, here we remember that Jesus is our mediator through Jesus Christ, in our Lord, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, we give thanks. He is our foundation for why we can begin and continue to be thankful to God. What is it to live a full life? You know, believers, followers of Jesus Christ, this is what it means. To live intentionally, to intentionally think and meditate on what it really means to, to be in the mystery of God and being saved by Jesus Christ, understanding God's will. It means intentionally seeking to be filled by the Spirit so that the fullness of God is reflected in our lives and it's in our lives fully and overflowing. Believers, this is what it means to live a full life. You know, I'm sure that we've thought of our New Year's resolutions. Or maybe not so formally. But we've thought about, as Pastor Phil, as he instructed us in an earlier prayer, was just to think upon our, our last year. And I'd love to encourage you in that full, more fully. I'd like to encourage you to sit down this week, list ways in which we can understand, that we can grapple and work on understanding the depth of God's plan for us. How we can purposefully, intentionally, naturally, authentically speak with worship in our mouths and encourage and exhort one another. Not because we're nosy and we're know-it-alls, but because we love each other deeply and we want to see each other grow and love God more. Let's sit down and think, how can we live and speak gratitude in order that we would walk more wisely, not as foolish, reckless people, sort of floating along on a surface-level understanding of, of being saved, knowing Jesus Christ, but really mining the depths of what does that mean for me? What does that mean for me today? What does that mean for me in my relationships? What does that mean in this church as we build this community together? You know, let's intentionally think these things out. Even when it gets hard to intentionally think of how we can fight through that malaise that comes around February, March, You know, I, I've started working out again at the athletic center across, and uh, I overheard this conversation among some of the trainers, and they're saying September and January, busiest times of the school year here in this, in this gym, because that's the resolution of we've got to work out, we've got to stay healthy this year, so important. And then by October, it dwindles, and November, it dwindles even more, and December, you have that handful 
And January rolls around, turn over the calendar, brand new year, I've got to get healthy, God, this year's going to be it. And then February, <laughs> and then March. And let's be honest, it happens in our spiritual life too, doesn't it? The intention is there. And yet, that's where we can speak these psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to each other. Can we mark that down on our calendar, maybe? February, March, I'm going to speak a word of encouragement to my brother and sister to keep going, to keep fighting, to keep intentionally living for the Lord. So let us live carefully, intentionally loving God and fully living in that way. Let us make the most of the time given to us to fully understand and mind the depths of the mystery of God's love and will for us. In response, uh, just because time is, is long here, uh, I would like us to skip. In their bulletin, there's this uh, responsive reading. And just as a response, uh, I'll be reading the leader portion, and I'd love you all to join in on the bold all section. And this is a really bold liturgy. And uh, I want us to think through the words as we read it too, and I encourage you to do so. Lord, we put ourselves fully into your hands. We are no longer our own, but we are yours. Put us to doing. Put us to suffering. Let us be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low by you. Let us be full. Let us be empty. Let us have all things. Let us have nothing. We freely and with a willing heart yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are ours and we are yours. So be it. May this covenant we have made on earth be ratified in heaven. Amen.